Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. In this episode, I am joined by Derek Cardi and Vlad Sedler on separate occasions because I wanted to sit down with both of them and talk about their specific expertise. Cardi is one of the best season-long projections guys in fantasy baseball. I think Vlad is probably the best fantasy baseball player, at least in terms of his results in the NFBC uh, has just many, many great finishes in the main event and in other leagues. So this is our get ready for fantasy baseball season. If you enjoy the show, if you want to support uh, bonus episodes every day on patreon.com slash takecast, uh, you can also just leave a rating or review on Apple Music, Google Play, or anywhere else. And now let's go ahead and get into the episode. All right, everyone, welcoming in Vlad Sedler. You might know him as at Rotogut on Twitter. He is, I think, probably the best or close to the best high-stakes fantasy baseball player there is. And uh, we got him on the show here today to come and give us the secret sauce to fantasy baseball in 2021. Vlad, man, how you doing, buddy? Davis, good to talk to you, bro. Uh, this is like a, it's a rite of passage once a year to come visit you and, uh, and talk shop with you. So I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, uh, I gotta say, this year I'm I'm pretty into fantasy baseball. Now I don't know if in August I'm gonna be feeling the same way doing waivers on on some of these teams, but right now I'm very jazzed. I'm very into it. I think the game theory of fantasy baseball is actually much more interesting than fantasy football because you are balancing so many more different things. Fantasy football is just trying to make a lot of the correct decisions and and hoping to get lucky. I I feel fantasy baseball is more of a skill game though, almost for sure. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you're like a waiter balancing many plates. You're doing it in the draft as you're trying to balance not only positions, but then all the different categories, especially if you're playing roto. You don't necessarily want to give up too much in any specific position. You want to have the balance even between upside and, and safety, like, you know, you're, you're building a pitching staff and you don't want all guys with, uh, with poor control with, with high strikeout rates. You, you want to balance it out with some of the safer guys too. So yeah, there's just so many plates that you're balancing and, and it's a longer season, 162 games, 26 weeks. It's a, uh, it's a bear for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. So Cardi is on the other half of this podcast talking about some pretty specific projection stuff and kind of how projection models are working. So so we are going to do a little bit more specific kind of player level analysis. And uh, first off, I just I will give you the floor to explain the 2019 Christian Yelich call and how you are, you know, formulating basically the the most league winning pick you could have ever made, which was Christian Yelich in, in 2019 and how that's coming into play here in 2021. If, if people want to know the actual answer to the question for who is this year's Christian Yelich, they can subscribe on uh, fantasyelite.com. But I, the, the floor is yours for the, the 2021 Yelich discussion. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it was a few years back. It was, it was actually 2018 was his 2018. His big, yeah, it was yeah. his big breakout. Um, but he had just been traded over to uh, the Milwaukee Brewers, and I had always been a fan. Actually, a buddy of mine uh, played with him here in uh, here in LA in the San Fernando Valley on the same baseball team, and just a guy that I always was a really big fan of. I mean, even things as far as his his work ethic. I mean, obviously, everybody in baseball's got a got a strong work ethic or for the most part, um, and. Uh, he had been a really solid player with the Marlins and was a good uh, contact hitter, hit 290 basically for his first uh, three or four seasons. And then just that trade over to Milwaukee and the complaint with a lot of people at that time from about him not being able to really take it to the next level was, man, he's got such a high ground ball rate. Can he really hit for power? 
Uh, but man, I was just feeling it. It was just a really strong intuition for me. And um, I was loading up in all my drafts that year on, uh, on him and his price was low at the time. It was like, you know, fifth, sixth round in 15 teamers. So that's like 60, 70 overall. And he started moving up a little bit. Um, and by the time we got around to the live events, live drafts in, in Vegas and New York, I mean, he was going 30, 40 overall. So I didn't get as many shares there as I'd like to. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I basically tweeted that he was going to uh, um, uh, return first round value and be a, a candidate for MVP. And he ended up winning MVP that year. Um, I punctuated the tweet with a uh, save this tweet so that, um, you know, there just you to kind of for effect. And uh, yeah, so it worked out, it panned out. And since that time, you know, this is my fourth year writing this column. Uh, I try not to force it. Like if I don't have like, you know, an instinct or a vision, um, I'm not going to do it. You know, a couple of years ago, I had offered up a, a, a handful of guys that I thought could be it, but I didn't see like a straight up person that fit that mold. Somebody that can provide you value in all five categories, you know, runs, homers, stolen bases, uh, batting average and RBI. Um, and uh, yeah, I just didn't have one. Last year, my guy was Bo Bichette. Um, you know, he's going like fourth ish, fourth, fifth round. And, um, and he basically missed half the season and, and was hurt, but was solid for, for, for the time that he played now, Bo Bichette's a second round pick. And so for this article that, that uh, came out on the Thursday we're recording, it's um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, somebody I would say between 50 and 90 overall who provides all five categories I actually wrote up a whole bunch of different guys that I like in this range, like a lot of candidates, people that I think could do it. A couple of guys I mentioned, like Aaron Judge and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. are guys who may not get there with stolen bases. They're not going to steal 20 bases, but the type of output they could put up in the other five, four categories could make them potentially first rounders. I mean, Judge, for example, is just, what, three years removed, his last healthy season from 50 plus homers. He's always a top right. exit velocity guy, like, you know, but that's the risk people take, um, somebody like that who could potentially get hurt. Yeah, I mean... For for what it's worth, I think that that Vlad actually could add some steals I, if it's true that he actually lost forty two pounds. Now I'm yeah. I'm a little skeptical. You get on the road, you get in the season, you're hitting some home runs. I I mean, if you lose forty two pounds, chances are you probably really like change your diet so if you go back to your old diet you can put those pounds yeah. back on i'm in the middle of that with my in my weight loss bet right now i i know what it is but if vlad dead ass lost 42 pounds the blue jays run right like that that's a yeah. big thing on their team in general right we like Teoscar, we like guriel we like bichette we like biggio we like all these guys because they let those dudes run and if vlad is actually that you know actually lost that weight because if you if you go if he delivers on some of the launch angle stuff, which we mm -hmm. have been projecting on him. And al also there's kind of this misnomer that Vlad is like this disappointing player. To me, he's not nine home runs last year, 338 weighted on base average. Like this, I mean, he's 22 years old, right? Like he's not even a prime baseball age. That's a weird thing that people miss about baseball is these guys come in the league at different ages, but prime baseball age is like 26, 27, 28. Mm. He's not even there yet. I mean, Vlad, I know some, some people are like, oh my God, you're paying for something you haven't seen it. How can you take Vlad in the fourth round? How could you do that? He's never done anything. And I'm like, this dude has the best, my, like he destroyed the minor leagues. Like yeah. just, I mean, absolutely destroyed my, his last year in triple uh, a, he had a 428 weighted on base average. Like, I mean, he he's unreal. And if he adds 12 steals to a 287, 
with 31 home runs and 103 RBIs and 95 runs scored or whatever, that's a first round player. I mean, that is a first round player. Yeah. And, and the thing about him and, and, you know, obviously I've been following him a lot and, and have been a big proponent of, of drafting him for this year because um, he's somebody, there's a specific quote that stuck out to me in the off season and, and what kind of triggered his weight loss uh, and, and just getting in shape is that um, he wants to be like those top guys. I mean, he literally mentioned yeah. Tatis and Acuna and he realizes he has the talent for those, but uh, to, to be one of those guys, but he's just been really, he, he's been given a God gift talent. His you know father is a hall of famer and incredible, one of the best hitters in baseball history. And he knows he has it and, you know, he feels the pressure and, and the disappointment. And, um, and I also know he loves the, the good, um, you know, f- uh, fried fatty foods that his grandma, who doesn't, who doesn't. And, and that was his thing. He just, you know, just kind of naturally hit and did what he did in the minors and continued to eat grandma's goodies. And then it's at some point this off season, it just all kind of clicked for him. And, and that was always the trigger that I needed is to see some sort of self-discipline, a little bit of weight loss and for him to get it going. I'm not worried. It's, you know, similar to the Yelich thing a few years back, like, okay, launch angle, ground ball issues. It's fine. He'll, he'll figure it out. Um, at this point, it's just going to become a, you know, the hype is growing because he's crushing in, in spring training. So right. that's the point. It's like, are you willing to pay a third round pick? Because that's now kind of what it's looking like. I am. I am. Vlad is Vlad is my answer to the dude you want to get in it. Well, Mondesi actually is the number one guy. I think that you should go into every now a 12 team league, a 15 standalone team league. It's a little bit different because winning stolen bases by 30 in your 12 team standalone league, you don't get extra points for that for lapping the field, but in, in, you know, the main event and things like that, I I feel like you pretty much have to get Mondesi. Um, All right. So those are some dudes we like, and we'll get back to more guys we like, but the worst pick or picks in the top 100, just dudes who you're, you're looking at, they fall by a full round in Vlad's main event, and you're going, I'll wait another round, right? I have a couple ideas for who this is for me. Again, you, you are a, a more skilled player, and more skilled players tend to be a little bit more price conscious. I always have my guys in every single sport, but who are some of the dudes in the top 100 that you just do not feel interested in? So just looking at like the top 50, for example, um, GTL, JT Real Muto is one, uh, one of them, and it's nothing to do with his skills. I mean, he is the number one catcher, kid, hitting catcher in, in the game. Um, I've seen really sharp people win with him as an early pick, but it's just not the way that I personally build. I'm, I'm either looking for catchers in the mid rounds or the later rounds that I feel can, can step up. Um, you know, the example I used was 2016 when Wilson Ramos and Yasmani Grandal broke out. And those were late round picks for me that worked. Obviously that doesn't work every year. Uh, but for me, uh, real Muto, I, because there is no NLDH, I do worry that he isn't going to rack up the, uh, the, the plate appearances is, yeah. is one 510 plate appearances instead of 700. Yeah. And so for me to fill the catcher category, uh, position and in, in an NFBC, we, we use two and that makes it a little tougher. Um, I can't give up so much draft equity for somebody that I don't even know is going to get me a hundred RBIs or a hundred runs. It's, it's a tough call. So that's one. And then, um, you know, Alex Bregman, um, the price is really good, but just the fact that he's still a little banged up um, mm-hmm. going into the regular season and, and his big season came with the, with the happy fun ball when he, you know, he crushed all those bombs. So at this point, like 
I'm okay with him. Maybe if I, if I feel like he's healthy and he falls around or two, but that usually doesn't happen. And by that point, you know, either I'm skipping on the third baseman or I'm taking like a, a an Anthony Rendon or Raphael Devers. who I just happen to feel more, more safe about. Yeah. So there are a couple guys for me that are tough. One is Brandon Woodruff. I feel like Brandon Woodruff is the, is the poster boy for starting pitching, getting pushed up. And I know Brandon Woodruff is good. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not really about him. It's just like, am I clicking on Brandon Woodruff instead of Anthony Rendon? Am I clicking on Brandon Woodruff instead of Nolan Arenado? Like Nolan Arenado is going to hit 35 home runs, hundred, hundred lot 280 batting average. Like I'm, I'm so big on Arenado, And I, I think the market is overreacting a little bit to him being removed from cores. One of the reasons being, Nolan Arenado's road numbers have always been pretty bad. There, there is a lot of very good research on Coors Field basically creating this weird situation for hitters where they adjust for a, a week. You know, they 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 get in Colorado and then they have to change everything when they go on the road. And it's uh, like they're they're maybe I'll link one of the studies in the podcast description. But basically, it's very hard to be a Colorado Rockies hitter. And I think that Arenado playing all of his games, you know at sea level, normal ballpark, normal situations. I think that's going to be really good for him. Another one for me is Hader. Goes 59.3 overall since the start of February. So he's weird for a couple reasons. One, obviously you're drafting him very high because of his ratios, right? Good ERA, good whip. That'll all be good for you. There's a concern with him, though, that they like to use him in that fireman role. So it's, it's great to get two innings uh, with four strikeouts and zero runs scored, but if you're not getting the save there, that's not really why you're drafting him in an overall format. Now, again, different in a 12 or 15 team standalone league, but if he doesn't rack up 35 saves and instead he gets 21 and Devin Williams gets nine and someone else gets three, I mean, that's a brutal pick. Like you, Like, even if the ratios are good, and that's not even accounting, closers just get shelled, right? Closers are in all of professional sports, probably the most subject to small to variance because one inning constitutes like one sixty sixth of their season or whatever. And, but managers really overreact to those small samples. So uh, where are you at on guys and, and Hendricks and stuff like entrapment too, where are you at on, uh, on some of those closers? So I guess it depends on the format. So a lot of us uh, in NFBC been, been really um, playing these, draft champions league. So they're, um, they're 15, 15 team, 50 rounders, and there's no free agent bidding during the course mm-hmm. of the season. So you're locked in on the 50 players you have. So obviously you're careful to not take too many minor leaguers. You want to avoid guys that are injured, but you have to get your closers and you got to push up the scarce commodities. And so in a format like that, I'm probably more willing to, to push up one of the, the, the top closers just to make sure I get them because I mean, maybe later on in the draft, if I'm, if I'm just picking up a whole bunch of middle relievers, they may or may not get saves. And, and if you're not competitive in all categories, you won't have a chance for the, for the overall, um, for overall prize there. And you're facing a, you know, a couple thousand teams as for hater myself, uh, me personally, I do prefer Liam Hendricks. I do think he's just a more safer asset in that range. Um, honestly, just as good and just is the man he's going to get all the save opportunities there. And I am concerned with how things are going to shape uh, shake out in Milwaukee. If Devin Williams is as good as he was as the rookie of the year last year, if he comes back from his health issues, I, I guess he's already pitching again and should be ready for opening day. 
I mean, why wouldn't they occasionally use Hader in the fireman role as, as the setup guy and, and not give him as many save opportunities, plus the chance that he gets traded? And there were some blemishes with Hader last year that we weren't used to. Well, first of all, home run rate over the last couple of years, he does give up bombs. And that park in Milwaukee, I think it's called something new, like Great American Family Park or something. I mean, that's a good hitter's park. And, um, and a high walk rate last year, too. Granted, only 19 innings, but just you know something to, to consider. So closer are incredibly tough this year. More teams are operating on a committee basis. It's just tougher to get your saves. So I understand going there. But if I have a, a choice at an early closer, I'll probably go with, um, with Hendricks first. Or I might dip down to uh, somebody like Edwin Diaz or even like a Racelle Iglesias, to be honest. Yeah, Racelle Iglesias is one that I really like. I, I do think that for me, they're just – and I think this is actually a DFS thing because we don't have to think about closers at all, and I'm thinking about hitters all the time. I'm sitting there, you know, doing my doing my cue or whatever, and it's like, okay, uh, am I going to take James Karinchak or am I going to take Nelson Cruz who's or or whatever, you know, yeah. guys, who, hitter you do like uh, – Alec Bohm, Byron Buxton, guys like that. It's just, it's just very hard for me. So I, I, I think, well, let me, let me throw this to you. I'm going to, I'm going to bring this to Sammy and Nate when we do our strategy talk, I would like to get one guy who's locked in, who, who could lose two saves to begin the year, who could blow two saves to begin the year and still will probably not lose his job. Right. Someone like Kenley Jansen, someone like Trevor Rosenthal, right. One guy like that. Yeah. And then, yeah three or four guys who can get saves, right? Joaquin Soria, Craig mm-hmm. Kimball. And I know that these guys obviously have huge ratio and blow up potential, but obviously, you know, in the main event, you're trying to hit like a, a an insane correlated parlay to win your league and to win the whole thing. You, you just, you absolutely have to take these risks on and have them work out for you. Yeah. And Trevor Rosenthal is a great example of that. He is somebody that is pretty much entrenched in that role and it would really take injury or for him to really blow a whole bunch of saves in order for him to lose that, that job. And so he's great. The only problem with him in in these main events, based on some of these, these uh, higher entry, um, you know, uh, draft champions leagues is he's going pretty expensive now. So he's now going in that Iglesias uh, Edwin Diaz range, which is like, you know, 70 to 80, 85 overall. Uh, Ryan Presley goes there. I think he's pretty solid as well and, and has a job. Um, a lot of it has to do with who, who's behind them. Like who's the person that's going to yeah. step up and an opportunity. And that's why for me, Ryan Presley just makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, the guys behind him are Pedro Baez, the former Dodger who isn't necessarily, you know, really has no closing experience. And then uh, Enoli Paredes. And, and I don't know. So for me, Presley seems pretty safe. The A's have a bunch of guys that could step up. Um, I just, I just think they, they obviously they signed Rosenthal for big money to, to do that. Um, Kenley to me is really the, he's the enigma. Like, I don't know, you know, being a Dodger fan and, and really in tune to what they're, what they're doing there last season was kind of telling the fact that he went through some troubles, the fact that he was not on the mound when they clinched and, and secured their, their championship. It was, it was Urias. So now that is a little concerning to me. And Kenley Jansen did work with, with driveline baseball earlier in the year and was solid for most of the year, but you're starting to sort of see those warts. And at the end of the day, no matter how loyal Dodgers are for all that he's done, they're running a business and they want to win another championship. And if Kenley continues to struggle, they'll bring in Blake Trinan. Maybe they'll bring Urias in from being a starter or a closer or, or trade for someone for hater who knows. So anything can happen just for that reason alone. I think I'm, I think I'm kind of, dicey with uh, with Kenley Jansen I think I might be out 
Yeah, which is fine. And I I think that more my point is like, you just got to, you just have to take some of these dicey guys because I'm not paying sticker for multiple closers, right? I'm not, I'm definitely not going into a draft being like, boom, I just took Hayter and Hendricks back to back. Like I, I just, I, even if you showed me math that made it make sense, like I'm not paying two of my top five round picks for 120 innings, right? Like, it, it, I mean, it just, it just does not make a ton of sense to me. Um, all right. Deeper, well, deeper ish guys, obviously a huge part of winning these leagues is getting positive contributions from guys that are cheap. So who are some of the dudes in like the reserve rounds, you know, post round 25 bottom end of your roster that you are spending some of these picks on uh, or, or even, you know, in shallow these guys to monitor on the waiver wire over the first couple of weeks. Uh, you know what? One of the things that's interesting is that outfield kind of dies off um, really quickly. And in, and in most formats, you're, you're starting five. And, if you're kind of waiting on, on your, you know, if you start off your draft with like, you know, shortstop starting pitcher filled your third baseman and you're kind of waiting on outfield, you may be in a pickle towards the end because in those reserve rounds, there aren't a lot of starting outfielders and you've got a lot of platoon situations, you know, uh, uh, Tampa Bay, Baltimore, so many teams where, uh, you know, the, the, the center field position is, is split, you know, guys going to, is going to be in the lineup when a lefty's on the mound and his platoon partner will be up when a righty's on the mound. So a lot of those tough situations. Um, one of the guys I've, I've just, you know, everybody has our, like, you know, you can't quit them list and they just keep yeah. screwing you over every year. And um, well, Carlos Correa is one of those guys. He's obviously, you know, he's, he's going closer to 100, 150 overall, but one of those guys for me later that I really hope to see um, kind of take the, take things to the next level. And he's looking great in spring. And that's Tyler O'Neill of the Cardinals. He just, uh, somebody that's always hit for, for, uh, for, for, for monstrous power, uh, and top sprint speed guy, just, um, you know, just, he's always had like contact issues, average issues, but he's somebody in those reserve rounds that I feel could, uh, can really step up and, and take things to the next level. So, um, that's one. And then, you know, with, um, with starting pitching, I'm cool with the, the, the sort of older boring guys like Jay Happ on the Minnesota twins now. Yeah had a pretty nice season last year. Um, Adam Wainwright, he was hurt for a couple of years and put on putting up horrendous ratios last year. He was just on point. He looks good this spring. You know, if, if I'm taking a lot of risk with, you know, maybe the Corey Kluber's James Pactons of the world, um, I want to kind of balance that out with somebody like a, um, with a Hap or Wainwright that I feel is in a good position in general, like St. Louis Cardinals pitchers are like a cheat code. I think somebody, you know, literally says that they cheat at home <laughs> and it might right. be the case, but like, yeah, I mean, Daniel Ponce de Leon, if he's going to be in the rotation, that's a good back ender, you know, um, you know, 25th round guy that you can look at, um, you know, those Cardinals guys. Yeah. Uh, a couple of the guys that I'm interested in. One is, is Bobby Dahlbeck. If he is good, he will be a lefty batting cleanup against AL East pitching yeah. in Fenway, in Yankee Stadium, in Dunedin, you know, in, Cam- well, whatever. I don't know what they call Camden these days. Yeah. It, it probably has a different name too, which I know is like a weird one to be like, oh, Bobby Dahlbeck is the guy. But it's just like, you need to be looking at dudes when they work out, like everything is going to be in their favor. And if Bobby Dahlbeck plays to his prospect report, which he did not really last year, He's going to be a guy who also, by the way, I love to take left-handed power guys because they 
just get the platoon advantage all the time and uh, and they don't play when they don't have the platoon advantage which is bad for a top 100 pick because you want 700 plate appearances it's not really that big of a deal for a guy you take at you know 350 overall or whatever and i just i just and obviously you know there's a little bit of that ortiz lefty first base magic that's kind of baked into my brain a little bit there but just power hitting left-handed first baseman in the al east i i would like to have those guys on my team yeah, Bobby Dalbeck is is interesting. Like the rookie on uh, the Chicago White Sox, Andrew Vaughn has been kind of same. Yeah, I like catapult. him too. I mean, he's just going right way past him because he's supposed to be the DH there and a little bit more hyped of a prospect. But who's to say that uh, Dalbeck isn't more ready or or would have a better season? So what he is is, I mean, yeah, you nailed it. I mean, he's he's twenty five and he's got insane power. Just really raw fantastic power his issue has always been he's got a huge hole in the swing strikes out a lot if he can figure out a way with that it's going to be a fantastic opportunity for him and especially in this lineup with some older guys a bunch of guys that that seem to get dinged up all the time like we we hope jd martinez stays healthy all year we hope that xander bogarts doesn't um have some issues with that that he had earlier i think with a hamstring or something so this is a potential opportunity for somebody like him to just get hot and move up in the lineup and, and you nailed it in the, in the beginning part of your assessment. Um, yeah. Left-handed hitting in that division or just good hitters in that division is going to be incredible because there's a lot of suspect pitching and the ballparks are all tremendous, you know, all the, other than Tampa's yeah. that's a great spot to target your hitters. Yeah. Uh, also an expensive guy, Eloy Jimenez. I know he's not going to steal any bases, but I just, Oh man. I love that dude. I just, I, I, I've been buying his, his rookie cards and stuff. Like I just, I am ready for Eloy Jimenez to uh, compete for AL MVP. Like I think he's yeah. so good. Yeah. I mean, he's like kind of the next big thing. And, and I mean, I know people that they won't even let him get past the second round. Like he's got like a 35, 38 ADP. If somebody's there, you know, they're picking first, that means they get the, you know, 29th or, you know, 30th pick they're not letting him get past that point because he really does that have that upside. Like we were mentioning judge and Vladimir Guerrero earlier as guys that don't steal bases, but can possibly return first round value. Like Eloy has a much better chance of that. And just think of that lineup. That lineup is just insane. It's bruising. Just, you know, you have like four guys that are basically top 50 picks with like a Brayu and Tim Anderson, Luis Robert and, uh, and Eloy. Eloy's really the key uh, to that lineup. I mean, and I wouldn't be shocked if he hit 40 bombs this year. Yeah. Uh, also, what are, what are your thoughts on Mondesi? I mean, I, I'm, I just could not be more bullish. Like he's, I'm ready. I'm ready for this dude to hit, you know, 18 home runs, steal 70 bases, hit 260, and just be, you know, f- fulfill my, my hearts and dreams. I, he's very divisive though, which mm-hmm. I don't really get. Cause again, not big fantasy baseball player the last couple of years. I mean, if you just look at his fan graphs, people worry about this dude's batting average. And I guess it's because he's so expensive, but he's hit like 250, 260, which is, it's not like first round value, but it's, it's like not going to, it's not Joey Gallo. It doesn't, it doesn't murder you. And I guess people are worried about him having that 210 season in his range of outcomes. But like, I, I just don't get why the pushback on Mondesi is so bad, I guess. Well, I mean, he's hit in his basically three seasons. He's hit between 256 and 276. So yeah. average really isn't a problem. What you get is just, it's a lot of uh, uh, purists who just just recognize that he's not a good hitter, doesn't have good Yeah, not discipline. a good real life player. Yeah, yeah, but but you know, it doesn't necessarily translate uh, to fantasy. And, and he does have a little pop. He's not like a Malik Smith 
uh, slap hitter. He's a guy with a, you know, 91 mile per hour exit velocity last year, and he can hit 15, 20 homers probably with ease. Uh, the big concern is really like where he's going to hit in the lineup or if, you know, like a little minor hamstring tweak or just the, the equity you're putting into a second round pick with a guy banking on all your stolen bases. So like, if he goes down, do you have a contingency plan for that? Or, you know, do you have to take like a Tim LaCastro or a mile straw in the, you know, the 25th round. So thinking in terms of that. And, uh, and I mean, you know, obviously, you know, siege for, for many years, my colleague, and he plays NFBC. Um, he's pretty convinced that, I mean, he's a huge Mondesi guy like yourself. He thinks that Mondesi is going to end up on the main event overall winning team. So um, I, yeah, he totally is going to happening. be yeah. if, if, so here's a big thing is, Mondesi could be hitting 116 with a 45% strikeout rate playing through a thumb injury. They're not benching him. They don't, the Kansas City Royals do not care. They are going to give him 750 plate appearances if they need to, because they'll have to decide on his contract pretty soon. He's four years into his, his OG deal. So they'll need to be deciding soon. If like, okay, we're going to let him go to arbitration. We're going to renew him. We're going to decide if we're even good this year. Cause we're also evaluating Bubich and singer. Maybe we'll call, you know, maybe Asa Lacey comes up. Maybe some of the young guys come up for bullpen work this year, Bobby Witt. We're going to, I mean, he is just absolutely forcing his way into playing time. So I, I have no worries on, him getting benched in the way that you would worry about some guys getting benched through a slump right and speed speed's gonna play even if you're hitting 116 you'll he's still gonna get you a steal a week you know honestly like Mm -hmm. so i i just i don't know and maybe this is a market inefficiency or maybe uh maybe everyone else knows more than i do but i'm i'm big on him uh okay starting pitchers they're just getting jammed up the board. This is, to me, this is the question in fantasy baseball. Starting pitchers who four years ago would have gone in the eighth round are going in the fourth round now. And it's a response to a couple things. One, it's the response to the fact that there people feel generally that there are just not going to be very many pitchers who start 30 games, who get to 170 innings, 150 innings, because a lot of those guys – well, I mean, no one pitched a full season last year, right? 60 games, then the playoffs due to the coronavirus and the way the season worked. And then also it's the super happy fun ball season, bringing ERAs up for everyone. Strikeouts are up for everyone because batters are just striking out more. So you feel like, oh, I I can take Sonny Gray and he's just going to get a lot of strikeouts. I can take Corbin Burns and he's going to get a lot of strikeouts because everyone kind of gets a lot of strikeouts now. And it makes boring ground ball uh, Caleb Smith guys just seem very boring and very unappealing. What is your sort of thesis statement on the starting pitcher market? Man, it's, it's still constantly changing and evolving. It honestly can change like day to day because I think there is that element of the unknown because we haven't had a situation like last year where we're, we're heading into a year where we're most likely not going to have anybody with 200 plus uh, innings. And even if, managers are going to want these guys to, um, to, to, to be their horses. Like we don't know what effect um, not pitching all that much last season or a, a, you know, lower amount of innings is going to have a, a, an effect on their bodies. And so might see a high level of guys hitting the injured list and just a lot of, you know, guys coming off the minors. And so there is some credence to the idea of investing in the aces early on. Um, there's a reason why the top uh, players in NFBC are, taking Cole and DeGrom, you know, for second overall in 15 team leagues, because, you know, you just kind of, you got that horse, you can hit the, the hitting uh, later on. 
and you've got a nice base because what happens a lot of times is, is if you're not too concentrated on starting pitching and then you're having to turn to the waiver wire, especially in a 15 team league, a lot of times you're left with guys that are going to just wreck your ratios. You know, if you're, you're looking at like the, the John Lester's and Rick Porcellos of the world that you got to pick up because they have a two start week. Um, those guys are going to just destroy your ratios. And if you have more solid pitching, like throughout your draft, you have to take, you don't have to take those stabs um, as frequently. So there is something to the idea that investing in, in the top guys, knowing that everyone's innings are going to be kind of low is, uh, is potentially worth it. Yeah. So who are some of the dudes? Well, I guess the right way to ask this question is, I, I think my kind of general thought is I really want to get Bieber, DeGrom, or Cole, right? And then that kind of, I'm like, well, then I can take a pitcher in the fifth round or the sixth round. I don't have to be taking these dudes I don't like. But are you, do you agree with that of really trying to get a pitcher in the first? Do you like doing the double starting pitcher to begin with? You know, Bieber, uh, uh, Bieber, Bauer, right? Guys, you uh, Darvish, right? Guys like that. Um, or do you feel comf- like, do you feel comfortable with some of these guys who are getting pushed up, you know, take starting pitchers at, at 90 overall at 110 overall? Uh, so for me, I really, I've, I've had success not going with too extreme uh, of a strategy. And so I rarely have teams where I'm going, uh, you know, two starting pitchers to, to, to start my draft. But a lot of it has to do with like where you're landing with your, your draft position. So, you know, if you're, if you're in, you know, if you're picking 10 out of a 15 teamer and you're in the main event, good chances that Cole DeGrom and Bieber are gone. So then you have to decide, you know, what am I going to do? Am I, am I willing to invest in a Bauer, Giolito or Darvish as my first round pick? Or do I feel more comfortable grabbing like, you know, Mike Trout can fall in that region. I mean, like what world are we living in that like Mike Trout, you know, fell to 11th in my last draft um, that, you know, that that's become normal. And so just so many ways you can look at it and it goes back to the beginning of the conversation with the, with the balancing plates, but mapping out how you want to attack those first few rounds, I think is super important because then you're not caught by surprise when those starting pitchers start going early, or if somebody you weren't expecting falls to you. So you just kind of have those contingencies set and, and figure it out. But I do think a good approach is to figure out where you want your first starting pitcher in relation to the first four rounds and in relation to where you're drafting from, because, you know, we were talking before the show, if, if, if you don't like the Woodruff, Bueller, Castillo area in the second round, then you almost either have to take that first round pitcher if he's available to you, or you just got to wait and figure out what your plan is for later on. Right. Yeah. And I, I guess that is kind of the hard part is figuring out the plan, right? Cause you, you, you kind of come into it and you're like, well, shit, I guess Chris Bubik is my four starter or, you know, I, I really need Michael Pineda to like not give up a million home runs this year, which is uh, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a difficult spot. Uh, it's just a very difficult spot to be in. All right, let's uh, let's just end here. Sort of uh, a general, let's call it, let's call it like a mission statement heading into these drafts, like some things to balance some things to think about, you know, how you, like how you weigh projections as you are going to go work on draft, like kind of just your, your mission statement for people as they draft in fantasy baseball this year. Yeah. I mean, really um, the first and foremost is, is um, pay attention to what's going on in spring training, just in terms of lineups, rotations, not necessarily 
the uh, you know who you know uh, who's hitting what you know how many home runs or, or you know who how many strikeouts, but where you can see these guys hitting and what sort of value they have on their team and in their lineup. I think that's first and foremost, and then also really being careful with injuries and not taking too many stashes. I mean, it's something that a lot of people learn the hard way their first year playing in NFC or really any league is, is you're like, Oh man, you know, I want to, I want, I want to stash me some Bobby Witt and uh, you know, get me a Wander Franco. Yeah. Um, I want to stash Bobby Witt so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. He's your your boy there. Uh, And then, you know, and then before you know it, um, you you know, you're taking somebody like, Oh, well, Calhoun's back in a few weeks. So I'll just take him all of a sudden your seven person bench now has like three or four dead spots. And then when somebody gets hurt in your active lineup in week two, you don't have anybody to fill that with. And then you're taking zeros. And that's really the name of the game is avoiding zeros. You're trying to amass plate appearances. You're trying to amass quality innings pitch guys with save opportunities. So I think that's the most important thing is just really like kind of balance it out and just, you know, map out a, 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 a formidable draft plan before you, you get into your actual draft. Yeah. All right, man. That was a great, a great strategy session. Obviously, if people want more, they can subscribe to everything that you guys have going on over at Fantasy Late. Why don't you tell people what they'll get not only before the season, but in season as well? Yeah, so uh, fantasyguru.com slash join today, uh, join dash today is where you can sign up. Um, It's pretty cheap, actually, $39.99 for the season. Um, And basically, I just help you crush it. Um, You know, myself, Ray Flowers, a couple other guys there. And um, preseason, I've got a whole bunch of tiers articles, um, just wrote the this year's Yelich column. I wrote a, uh, an interview up with the three uh, top uh, fantasy baseball players of all time, the three wise men in column. And uh, during the season, man, just help you crush with the free agent bidding. Just have a weekly column that's uh, really robust, you know, just, just breaking it down exactly who you should be bidding on and what you should be doing in season. So yeah, fantasyguru.com. Thank all you so right. much, man. For having yeah, me. it was great. Everyone follow Vlad on Twitter at RotoGut. And uh, we're going to go ahead and go chat with Cardi now. And uh, we'll, we'll see you back next week. All right, everyone, welcoming in Derek Cardi to the show. Every year uh, when baseball is about to start, I like to get Cardi on the show because he runs what I think is probably the best projection system in baseball, uh, the bat and the bat X and, and he always has some great and unique insights into the game. Cardi, we're almost there. We're about two and a half weeks away from opening day. How are we feeling, man? I'm feeling good. I'm excited for baseball. I'm excited to get a final, finally get a full season of baseball. In. You know, I was excited to get it at all last year because it was looking for a while. Like we weren't going to get anything, but 60 games really just wasn't enough. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped for, for some normalcy. Yeah, uh, I'm very excited for baseball. I will be in the NFBC main event drafting on uh, this Sunday coming up with Sammy and Nate. So, of course, before we did that, I I needed to pick your brain. So let's start here. Uh, The player or players that you think projections have the most difficult time with because i i am big on projections for baseball i think it's the most projectable sport obviously over 162 games but obviously you know there are going to be things that the projections miss on power spikes young guys you know playing time not understanding so who are some of the guys when you're sitting there drafting looking at your stuff from the bat and the bat x that you think you know what i think my stuff could be wrong on this guy Yeah. So obviously I'm a big projection guy. I think they are essential to any process, but they're not infallible. And the thing that projections have the most difficulty with is, is injuries. You know, you can't, 
you can't predict when injuries are going to happen. And when guys are coming off injuries, you don't necessarily uh, know if they're going to, you know, still, you know, have some, some lingering effects of it. You don't know if they're just going to bounce back and be who they were before the injury, especially when it comes to pitchers. Like it is really difficult to figure out how guys are going to bounce back from injuries. And this year we have quite a few really high profile pitchers that are going to be coming off injury and project really well, not just in the bat, but pretty much across the board. But their ADPs are like way lower than the projections say you should be taking them. It's guys like Chris Sale, Luis Severino, uh, Noah Syndergaard. Like Sale and Severino, when they are perfectly healthy, they're both top five pitchers in baseball. And so even with, you know, half a season of volume, which is, you know, what projections were more or less expecting them to get, they still project as, you know, like, 10 to $15 players and they're being drafted as more like, you know, dollar players. So I think the projections are too aggressive on them, but I do still think you can get a pretty good bargain on them, at least for what their upside is. You know, if Severino misses two months and comes back and is just incredible with, you know, a dominant Yankees offense, giving him run support, like there's plenty of upside for these guys, but projections don't really know that they're coming off an injury. And so their rate stats are probably a little too aggressive uh, for, for what could happen. Yeah. I think um, I definitely think that makes sense. I also think that there are some guys that uh, the, the projections also don't know about the ball, right? We think that the ball is probably going to be deadened a little bit in 2020. And, you know, that's something that is very difficult to capture from projections because you don't know, you know, well, how dead is the ball going to be? You know, is it going to be like uh, the 2020 ball? Is it going to be like the 2017 ball, right? Like, and so I think that there are some guys with good power, but not 80 power who are projected for like 28 home runs who are going to be closer to, you know, 20. So some guys that I think fit this definition would be guys like uh, Brandon Lau, Marcus Semien, AJ Pollock, some of those guys with good power, you know, they, they uh, hit a lot of doubles. They make a lot of contact, but I, I would be very wary in constructing teams of drafting guys who are projected in that 20 to 25 home run range who had really strong 2019 seasons that are feeding into their projections that I think would be really negatively impacted by the ball. Do you have any thoughts specifically on the ball? Yeah. So obviously there's, there's always going to be uncertainty with what ball we're getting every single year. It changes this year. They gave us a little bit of notice and said, okay, we're trying to, you know, deflate home runs a little bit by, you know, a foot or two basically on, on fly ball. So as much as I could, it is incorporated into the bat, but there are going to be some guys that are going to be uh, disproportionately impacted by it. I don't think the impact is going to be enormous, um, but I do think it is going to be there. And there's probably a couple guys like that, that, uh, you know, you said guys that, you know, maybe have like 28 home runs, you expect closer to 20. I would think maybe like 26, you know, I, I think it's off maybe on those guys by like a home run or two. Uh, I don't think it's going to be enormous, but it is definitely something to, to keep in mind that projections can't account for perfectly. Yeah. And then also, I think something that has come up um, as I've been drafting a bunch of these teams is there are, I mean, more than a handful of guys who stole bases in 2018 and 2019 
who did not steal in 2020. And, and I've heard, and I, I just kind of wonder your opinion on this. Do you think that there is something to the idea of like, look, it's a 60 game season. It's insane. We're playing double headers. We're playing seven inning games. Like, let's just not get hurt on the base pass. Right. Like, let's just, let's just kind of take it easy. Like I, like uh, I, for example, Colton Wong, one of those guys who went from like, I think he had 24 steals in 2019. Yeah. 24 steals in 2019 down to five steals in 2020. And, and Wong is just one example of this. Um, You know, I, I do think that stolen base projections are, super fragile in 2021 because the the 2020 numbers I think are kind of a black box as it pertains to steals. Yeah, steals are always a pain in the ass to project and I think the market is also kind of inefficient with stolen bases like so projecting stolen bases is different than projecting home runs or batting average or anything else because home runs and batting average and strikeouts and walks and anything basically anything else in the entire game of baseball is dictated entirely by skill. There's going to be some noise in the projection and context and whatever else, but it's all skill-based. Whereas stolen bases, there's some skill involved, but there's also some uh, just like whim. You know, there's yes. There's just like a decision to be made. Like you, in order to steal a base, you have to decide, okay, I want to try to steal a base. In order to get a hit, you don't have to decide that you're going to get a hit. You just swing the fucking bat. Um, so right, like, exactly. Um, so stolen bases are, are fragile in that regard because it can just change on a whim, whether a guy or a manager says, okay, you're going to be allowed to run this year, or you're not going to be allowed to run this year, or this guy just doesn't feel like doing it or, or whatever it is. And I think a lot of people, they see, they see the speed component of it. And they think that this is a stat that is more stable than it actually is. People all the time say, oh, well, I got to get my speed in the early rounds. I got to draft you know, Mondesi or Acuna or Tatis or whoever, I got to get those steals. And I think people probably overproject or overestimate in their minds how many steals these guys are actually going to get. Like steals should be expected to, to kind of regress more than people think because, because that's kind of just how it works because there is that whim component because it does have statistically a good amount of variance more than people would expect it to. And because the aging curve for stolen bases and for speed is straight down, it doesn't matter how Mm -hmm. old you are. If you're 18 years old in your age 19 season, you should be expected to get slower and to steal fewer bases because that's just how the aging curves for these things work. And so uh, steals are kind of a pain in the ass. Um, And especially coming off a year like last year, you know, maybe there were guys who were taking it easy or, or whatever. So maybe there's a little bit of, you know, extra, extra noise thrown in that, that we don't have in a normal year, but a guy like Wong, I think is a good example. Like you said, in 2019, he stole 24 bases, but you look at what he did in 2016, 17 and 18, seven, eight and six stolen bases. Like, and and he's not fast, like specifically for Colton Wong, like he's not even fast. He just is a guy who recognizes the opportunities basically. Right. Exactly. You know, his, his speed has not gotten any, any better or worse over the years. It actually has gone down a little bit. Um, which is actually weird. 2019, when he stole those bases, was his lowest sprint speed, which is very weird. Um, but uh, yeah, like it's just speed is just weird like that. So, you know, you just don't know, especially a guy like that, that isn't a Mondesi that, you know, you know, even if he's not going to steal 60 bases, you can pencil him in for 30 or 40 probably. But I think a lot of times people do overshoot that number. They say, okay, well, he's stolen 50 bases the last couple of years. He's going to steal 50 again. It's like, no, it's probably more like 40. 
Yeah. Um, how are you treating speed? Like I, I know a, in all, like literally every league I've done uh, on, on the NFBC, I've taken Mondesi in the second round uh, in every single draft I've done because he opens up a lot of things. He is not going to be a zero in power. I don't buy a lot of the batting average concerns. I, I think he can get to 250 pretty easily. And Kansas City is one of the few teams that under, I mean, Matheny has let them run. Their previous managers let them run. Like the, And they're not going to be playing a ton of competitive games. So these guys are going to really have the green light. Like, How are you approaching steals as a category this year? Um, I think it really depends on the type of league that you're in. Most of the leagues that I play are, um, it's just like contained to a single league. So like there's 12 or 15 people in the league and, and that's it. I'm not competing against the winner from, you know, a hundred other leagues right, like exactly. you are in NFBC. Um, yeah. And there's, there's trading allowed in my leagues, which makes a big difference. So I don't really worry too much about speed. Um, you know, I just go for value for the most part. I'll, you know, I'll spend an extra dollar or two at auction to get a speed guy because speed is always speed is people always pay more for speed than projections say you should because it's scarcer because there is that kind of like cognitive bias and that mindset. And so I'll pay a little bit of that premium for speed, but not a ton. Um, A lot of times I'll come out of a draft, you know, lacking speed just because the value isn't there for it. But in a format like NFBC, you don't really have that luxury. There's no Trading. You have if you're trying to win the overall, you can't be weak in a category. So you really just kind of have to bite the bullet and and get enough of it. So, you know, I don't love Mondesi in general. Early second round to me sounds like really aggressive, but in a format like that, I can see where you know maybe you can justify doing that because you really do have to have speed in a format like that. Yeah, you got it. You have to take guys like Mondesi, guys like Voight, you know, guys, guys who have the ability to literally like lead in a category Um, because winning, I mean, winning your 12 man league is nice, but like, you know, the reason we're playing the main event or whatever is, is to try and chase that massive payday. And so you do have to get after those categories more. All right. Your favorite pick at ADP right now is who? Uh, Joey Votto. No, no question question it's Joey Votto Joey Joey is literally free yeah he he is literally free Joey Votto's ADP is close to 400 like there are leagues where he will not be drafted Um, he's being taken as the number 34 first baseman right now and he projects in the bad x as depending on the valuation method somewhere around the number 11 first baseman which means that he is a starting first baseman in basically every single format not a starting corner infielder He's a starting first baseman in 12 team leagues and he's being drafted as the number 34 guy, like basically just free. And it doesn't make any sense. Like he's these types of guys in general always go lower than they should. The older, boring veterans, because they don't have the upside people, especially later in drafts, they're trying to, you know, hit on the the hot young stud that's going to break out and have, you know, second round value. And yeah, if you want to take a shot on a guy like that um, you know, a few guys like that, sure. But passing up the extreme value of a guy like Votto is just silly to me. You know, like he's a guy who should be a starter that you can get for free because he's old and boring, but he's old and boring and still 
good. He's old, boring, still good, and actually made improvements last year. Yeah, like he, he he fixed his launch angle, right? Yes. Uh, walked more last year. I mean, I and I don't think people realize this. So his batting average wasn't great. His OBP was, you know, as as great as it always is. But he had eleven home runs. Uh, he walked sixteen percent of the time last year. Just so people know, the bat X projection. Uh, has him for 23 home runs, 88 runs scored, 81 RBIs, and even still gives him a couple steals, which he has done every year of his career. He's chipped in with a couple, except for last year, uh, but had the best ISO of his career since 2017 last year as a result of those launch angle changes. Yeah, so there, there's just so much to like about him, and I don't know why people aren't seeing it. And right now he's on the, the COVID list. So it's not like his ADP is going to jump and we do have to worry about that. We don't know what his deal actually is, but uh, you know, if he gets that out of the way early and he's back in the first week of April or even by opening day, um, then that risk is gone. That still exists for, for certain other players. So I really do like Vado a lot and he plays an amazing ballpark in a pretty good lineup. Yeah, no, I, and that's, that's actually another thing is I, I do actually feel like ADP, it, it definitely recognizes Coors Field, right? Lots of guys in Coors end up getting pushed up to some degree, but even I think the upside of some of the Coors guys doesn't get captured, but that's as far as it goes, right? Guys in Cincinnati, um, guys in New York, guys in Chicago. I think a lot of those guys, you know, don't really end up getting uh, the same amount of attention. So on the converse, the worst pick, uh, for you inside of the top 100 in NFBC ADP. I, I think there are a couple candidates for this. What do you think the worst pick going inside the top 100 is right now? I would imagine a fairly popular answer, and the one that I'm going to give is is Kevin Biggio. I think if you ask a lot of experts, they'll tell you that he's yeah, going too high. His, his stat cast stuff is terrible. His stat cast stuff is terrible. His projections really aren't that good. Like the bat X and the bat like Biggio more than steamer does more than zips does. And last I checked Biggio is still the most overdrafted player according to, to the bat X. So like, which is weird a little bit because the bat X loves the blue Jays. It thinks the blue Jays have the best offense in the American league this year. It thinks a lot of blue Jays are good values and Biggio is just not one of them. And then you throw in, um, the the counting stat concerns where it seemed like early in the offseason, a lot of people were were pretty much banking on Biggio, you know, leading off or hitting second or something like that. And then they signed Springer and they signed Semyon. Uh, it's looking like Biggio will probably hit like sixth or seventh. Sixth or seventh, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and his ADP really hasn't fallen that much. And so, um, yeah, like, sure, he probably will hit first or second some games. Maybe he settles in there at some point but he's just being drafted way too high for who he is as a hitter and for those concerns. Yeah. So I, I definitely, I mean, I have not taken Kavon Biggio in any league. Now the fact that he has multi-position eligibility, definitely. Um, I, you know, I, I like that. And I think that pushes him up around like the guys that you can play at two infield spots and at quarter infield and at middle infield and at outfield. I do think those guys have value, but they have more value when you're looking at like, you know, someone like Chris Taylor or David mm -hmm. Fletcher, where it's not someone you expect to like blow you away, but you can get his, you know, decent ish numbers much, much cheaper. I, I think my answer to this question would be some of these closers that are getting really pushed up. Um, you know, for example, spending a fourth round pick on Liam Hendricks or Josh Hader. I mean, one of the things we know is 
closers are kind of like running backs in the sense of we're pretty bad at projecting them. Yep. And it's so opportunity based. And if Josh Hader loses 25% of his closing opportunities to Devin Williams, if Liam Hendricks struggles, right? Like these are, these are guys who you are basically drafting for, I mean, their ratios are okay, but you really are drafting them for one category, right? You're drafting them for the saves. And if Hader gets 18 saves instead of, I mean, you know, how many did he get in 2019? He probably got an absurd amount. Uh, in 2019, Hader generated uh, 37 saves. And if he gets 18 saves instead of that, you're talking about, even with the strikeouts, even with the whip, even with the ERA, you're talking about, the I mean, the worst pick you could have made there. Yeah, it's true. Closers are always a pain in the ass. I I hate closers. Um, I don't even try to project saves. Like if you look at the bat and the bat X, there, there yep. are no save projections because it's just completely up to opportunity and who the manager decides to do. And it changes so much throughout the year. So when I'm drafting, you know, I'll base it on on the Fangraphs depth charts, or I'll base it on just like you know an aggregate, you know, expert consensus projection for for saves or something like that, um, because it's just so so annoying and. And it's a weird position because, again, if you're playing in an NFBC league, especially, you have to have saves. It's just a matter of where you're going to get them. And, and so the ADPs for these guys are theoretically, you know, too high. But I think you kind of just take it on a league-by-league league basis and you just try not to get shut out. You know, once the run starts, make sure you get a decent one and, and that's kind of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm completely with you. One of the things that I have observed that uh, is very, it's hard to make sense of as someone who is diving into fantasy baseball seriously, like I said, first time playing the main event and everything. Starting pitching ADP is insane. Uh, it is, this is the most it has ever been pushed up, you know, according to like literally every single source. And you're looking at, so guys like Lance Lynn are going in the fourth round, Kent Ameda going in the fourth round. And obviously you need starting pitching. The bottom of starting pitching, the mid-tier of starting pitching has more volatility than ever because Major League Baseball has, it, every, every team's trying to hit home runs. Guys are not going deeper into games. Specifically this year, there's going to be a very limited number of guys who get in 30 starts. You know, lots of guys, like teams are going to be running uh, six inning or six man rotations. Guys are going to only go through the order twice. Some guys are, you know, going to have a, a five inning cap, you know, I mean, and then even if you get into the, the bottom ends of the hundred, you start talking about guys like Kyle Hendricks and Jose Barrios who don't generate enough strikeouts. How are you in drafting this year dealing with the insane push of starting pitching? Like just, I mean, so many pitchers are going in the top 100 of ADP. Yeah, it's really interesting because for years, every expert, every tout, every fantasy player was like, you can't take pitching too early. There's going to be lots of pitching late. You can get pitching off the waiver wire. You definitely can't take pitching in the first couple rounds because pitching is, is so volatile. You need like safety and floor and you need these hitters in the first couple rounds. And I've always been skeptical of that to begin with because I'm like, I don't care about the volatility, especially if I'm trying to win a, a main event or something like give me volatility, um, give me that upside. And, uh, and more than that, just give me the value. And pitchers for a while were, especially the high-end pitchers, were being taken um, you know, lower than they deserve to be. And now it is starting to get pushed up. I think the market is actually becoming a little bit more efficient when it comes to pitching. 
but not quite in the right ways. Like the guys you talk about, the Lance Lynn's, the Kyle Hendricks, the, you know, guys like that. I don't think you're getting any like massive discount on guys like that, but I think the Uber high end, they really haven't been pushed up high enough. DeGrom right. especially, but DeGrom, Cole, Bieber, um, they are being drafted too low. There is a legitimate case that Jacob DeGrom should be 1-1. Jacob DeGrom should be the first player taken off the board, ahead of Tatis, ahead of Acuna, ahead of Soto, ahead of Mookie, ahead of Trout. Uh, you run, you know, value, it depends on your valuation system, but you run the bat or, or any projection system, I think, through Fangraphs' auction calculator right now. Jacob DeGrom projects as the best player by, by a lot, actually. Um, the bat, I think, has him like $10 higher than the best hitter in a 15-team format. So, like, the high-end pitching really is what I want to do. I don't want to have to take DeGrom at 1-1, but if that's the pick I end up with, then then I will. But I'd much rather have pick five, take DeGrom, and, and then I have my ace. And then I, I don't have to overspend that little bit on the Lance Lins or the whoever because I have my ace when everyone else is too scared to take him. Yeah, so the way that uh, the NFBC works, you, you set your Kentucky Derby system, which is effectively your, your preference of where you want to pick. And me and Sammy and Nate, we thought the exact same thing. Like, we don't want to be spending um, a third-round pick on Jack Flaherty. Uh, we don't want to be taking Brandon Woodruff instead of a hitter we really like. Like, if it's Brandon Woodruff versus Eloy Jimenez, we want Eloy there. So we have it set... I think our, our top preferences are five, six, seven, because that gives us a super strong chance to get one of Garrett Cole, Jacob deGrom, or Shane Bieber. And we think that taking that elite starter in the first round and then going with one of the power speed guys in round two. So that's guys like Mondesi, um, you know, that's guys. Well, I, I mean, story does go a little bit earlier than that. Ideally we would like to get uh, story or Mondesi, but we don't want to be spending, uh, you know, a, a premium pick on a starter who's getting really pushed up. But like, for example, you know, Zach Gallen, Blake Snell. I mean, those guys are fine, but they're going next to hitters who can earn first round value, right? Anthony Rendon, uh, George Springer, Vlad, Vlad Guerrero Jr., who we all love, like spending your pitching picks in that range, like as opposed to taking Acuna, like I, I agree with you. I think if we got the 101, I would just rather take DeGrom than Acuna, even with how great Acuna is because of how filling out a starting pitching staff works out. Right, like if you were given the choice of, of DeGrom and Springer, or Acuna and, you know, like whoever you just said, like Blake Snell. Yeah. Like, I, I, there's no way I would take Acuna and Snell. Like, no way. Give me DeGrom and Springer every single time. Yeah. No, I, and that's really how you have to view it. It's, it's like, it's like a, a 2v2. You, you look at it like building, uh, you know, a, an NFL cash game lineup, and you look at the 2v2, and uh, DeGrom and Springer just seems so much better than Snell and Acuna in terms of earning – value. Uh, and I touched on a name there that I thought we should definitely discuss on the show, which is Vlad Guerrero Jr. Some people are of the opinion that he is being overdrafted right now. His ADP is 53.8. I think it's a little bit higher than that in the most recent drafts. I just have the filter set for all right now. And I definitely think there is some pushback on Vlad in the sense of thinking that he has been disappointing because he hasn't had the insane home run season, but he has 757 
career plate appearances at the major league level, 24 home runs, a 174 ISO. He really has not struck out the way you think that he would have a 17% K rate for his career with a 269 average. But the reason why I specifically wanted to talk about him with you is the bat X totally agrees with the stance that even in the fourth round, Vlad is being a little bit undervalued and that he is ceiling for like just an absolutely insane season. Yeah, the bad X loves Vlad. The bad X is the highest system, I think, of any system this year on Vlad. And I'm totally here for it. Like, like I said earlier, I love the Blue Jays offense this year. I think there's a ton of talent in that offense. I think that the environment that they're going to be playing in this year is going to be a good one because they're not allowed to play in Canada to start the year. So they're going to be in Florida to start the year, which projects a good hitters park, amazing weather park at the start of the year. They'll probably move to Buffalo at some point, but Buffalo is still probably a better park than Toronto. And, and Vlad is just, he's good. Like everyone, everyone who hates Vlad just points to the launch angle. They say, well, his launch angle's too low. So you can't like Vlad. He's never had power because he can't lift the ball. And uh, I mean, yes, that is a concern, but also it doesn't matter that much. Like Vlad has been pretty good so far in his career. But he's actually gotten really unlucky. If you look at uh, my, my expected stats that kind of drive the bad X a little bit over at EV Analytics, you look at Vlad's expected home run per 600 plate appearances the last two years, he's gotten unlucky both years. In 2019, he had 16 home runs, should have been 21. In 2020, 21 home runs, should have been 27. So like, even if he doesn't raise his launch angle at all, he's still due that regression because he's gotten unlucky so far, even with you know, the low launch angles. Like this is a guy who's obviously his exit velocity is off the charts, like hits the ball harder than almost anyone in baseball. And even without a launch angle change, he would still be a guy that we would expect to get better just based on natural regression and, and being unlucky. And if he does raise the launch angle, oh my God, like just this, like there is no ceiling. Like he could be an early first round pick next year. Yeah, I mean, and that that is definitely the case. And And by the way, he, he did, according to sources, lose 42 pounds. Now, I mean, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know if he actually, <laughs> like, he probably, I, I'm sure he lost some weight. I'm sure he'll put some of it back on. But he stole a little bit in the minor leagues. Uh, if you go back to, like, rookie ball and A ball. I mean, if he could hit 30 home runs and add in eight steals as a first and third baseman, a guy who qualifies at both, you can play him at either spot or at the middle infield. I mean, and... In this offense, I'm super high on the Blue Jays. The bat loves the Blue Jays. I, I do think that other than Kavon Biggio, like literally all of these guys are great picks at their ADP. Oh, yeah. Springer, Bichette, Semyon, Hernandez, Vlad, Guriel, Tellis. I mean, even Danny Jansen is like, I think you can get him at, yep. at like 290. And Danny Jansen is like not some terrible hitter. And even Grichik, right? Who will give all of these guys days off, who will DH against left-handed starting pitching when, uh, and, and Tellers will be the DH against right-handed starting pitching. I mean, I just am all in on the Blue Jays. I want all of them, weirdly enough, except for Biggio because of the stat cast stuff. Yep, I, I completely agree. I think basically every Blue Jay, except for Biggio, is is a bargain this year and and i you know i expect big things out of them all right uh last thing here uh Derek cardi flag plants your three favorite dudes uh we already we already talked about we already talked about Votto, but the the Derek cardi slash the bat x you know three favorite picks in fantasy baseball in 2021 
Yeah. So, so I already talked about Vado. Like you said, I think Vado is just like, I don't understand why this guy is going so freaking, he's literally like going 200 picks too low, which you just don't see that kind of inefficiency, but we're, we're seeing with, with Vado. So I really like Vado. Um, I think there's actually a lot of corner infielders that are good values this year. Like Josh Bell is a guy that, that I really like this year. Getting out of PNC Park in Pittsburgh, which is just an awful, awful park for power, especially um, right-handed power. And he's going into Washington, so it's a good park upgrade, a, uh, a good um, uh, offense upgrade. Like, he doesn't have the crappy Pirates dragging down his RBIs and his runs. He's going to have a pretty solid offense around him. Um, he has a good interleague schedule playing, um, you know, his interleague games in the AL East and all of those, you know, very favorable hitters parks this year. Um, and he's just a guy that I think people are, are discounting because he had a down 2020 season, but his 2019 was, was outstanding. And I don't think, um, the drop-offs that we saw in his underlying stuff really justify the drop-off that we've seen in, in his ADP. So I think Josh Bell is a guy that, uh, that I really like. And trying to think of like a pitcher that I really love. Like what's a pitcher that I'm going, Joe Musgrove. Joe Musgrove is a pitcher that I know the bat really, really likes. I think it has Musgrove as like a top 15 um, or top, maybe top 20 pitcher this year. And uh, I'm, I'm totally here for it. He's another guy getting out of, uh, out of Pittsburgh, which, um, you know, park wise, maybe not necessarily an upgrade, but he will definitely get an upgrade in terms of, uh, his supporting offense playing for the Padres. And he's a guy that the bat X or, or the bat rather is just really buying into like had a really, really strong season in 2020. His peripherals were actually better than his, his surface stuff. His strikeouts were through the roof. His control has always been good. Um, and so he's a guy that the bat really just likes this year. So, uh, you know, I, I like Musgrove quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I will, I will go ahead and throw out a couple of my guys. One of them, is Mondesi. Um, I, I feel very strongly that in now in a, a standalone league, like if I was in uh, like the uh, labor or tout wars or whatever, and the, the 15 team mix, I would not be as big on him there, but in the overall formats, another one is Dylan Carlson, who is, I, I think being really underrated. I think that Cardinals offense is going to be super strong I think that Carlson is going to get everyday playing time. He was definitely disappointing in his 119 plate appearances last year, but he is going to play every day in the middle of a really strong lineup. I think he should be able to hit 250, 260. Like, and I mean, we're t- this is this is a guy with a really strong hit tool, a really strong you know raw power tool relative to where he is being drafted and i i i am just sort of expecting the cardinals offense to be better than the market is i mean edmund goldschmidt arenado deon carlson is like that's a really strong top five of of the order and i i think that the uh the market is not accurately capturing that like i mean you can get him you can get him as like your third or fourth outfielder uh depending on how you're constructing your team like he's going after guys like uh brantley uh cabrian hayes kyle lewis like i would i would rather have carlson than all those guys yeah i think carlson has has a good amount of upside especially you know everyone loves the stat cast stuff but his surface stat cast stuff isn't anything outstanding but like when you dig a little deeper into it um, it's actually quite good. So like his average exit velocity and his maxed exit velocity are like 33rd percentile last year. 
But if you look at his exit velocity on fly balls or the percentage of balls that he hits 100 miles per hour in the air, they're both over 80th percentile. You know, his launch angle on average was only 25th percentile, but his launch angle on his hardest hit balls was 70th percentile. So like this is a guy that I do think, especially once you dig a little deeper, there's definitely a lot of stuff to like. And if you think he's going to hit in the middle of the order and play every day, then I do definitely think there's there's even upside beyond the projections. Yeah. And then the last guy, I mean, Shohei Otani, uh-huh. right? I mean, come on. This guy, this guy is going after Austin Riley. This guy's going after Jesse Winker. This guy's going after Leody Tavares, right? And the season in which Shohei Otani stays healthy, and I tweeted this the other day. If Otani is able to generate, let's say, 450 plate appearances and start 13 games as a pitcher, how is he not one of the 15 most valuable players in Roto? Like, I, I just would, I don't understand. He, he hits for power. He steals a little bit. Like, people forget that this guy steals, right? 10, oh, yeah. 12, and 7 steals in his seasons in the majors. He has been decent as a pitcher when he's been out there no he had he he just has not pitched a ton due to uh arm injuries and he hit for a bad average last year in 46 games but i care much more about the 285 and the 286 from the seasons before that and by the way his uh nippon league numbers i mean he like he was mike trout in the nippon league right at a a young age but i mean this is a guy with great great power great hit tool i mean he Otani for me is like I I go into every draft knowing he's not that expensive and I just want him in every draft I go in. Yeah, I I love Otani. I played way too much of Otani in DFS last year and that didn't always work out. Um but the BABIP was super low. He was getting unlucky. He was, you know, probably playing through some injury or something. But the power's there, the speed is there, and like you said with the pitching, like Otani, when he first came over, I was higher on him as a pitcher than I was as a hitter. Like I thought he yep. had the potential to be a top 10 pitcher in baseball, you know, on a, on a per inning basis. And, uh, you know, he was really good his first season. He hasn't thrown a lot of innings in the majors yet, but he's been good when he has. And, uh, and I guess the reports out of spring are that he's looking even better. Like there, there's reports. I think I saw that his, his fastball is up in the, up in the high nineties again. So like you said, if he can stay healthy, this is a guy who really has a lot of ceiling. Yep. All right. I think that was a, a great primer, some great insight out into how to play fantasy baseball this season. Uh, tell people about the bat, where they can buy it, and we'll we'll get out of here, Derek. Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Twitter at Derek Hardy. You can find the bat for your season-long purposes at Fangraphs and EV Analytics. If you play DFS, you can get the DFS version over at Roto Grinders. If you sports bet, you can get the sports betting version over at EV Analytics. All right, everyone follow Derek on Twitter, and uh, we'll be back next week.